Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Send in the Clowns, The Phoenix Tube Company, CelebrityTrips.com, The Law Firm of Decalator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who was born in St. Louis. He graduated from the same University City High School as Tennessee Williams, Bing Devine, and Nelly. After earning a journalism degree from the University of Missouri, he has been an award-winning feature writer and columnist for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, MSNBC.com, and numerous publications. As a columnist at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, he covered the St. Louis Blues hockey team for 32 years. His new book, When the Blues Go Marching In, captures that magic, the color, the characters, and the excitement as it takes you through the first 50 years of the St. Louis Blues history. It is a thrill to welcome Dan O'Neill to WLIE Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Dan. Uh, Good to be with you, Mark. It's our pleasure. You know, it, you you helped us build the show today because we had Gary Unger on in right. the first segment, and and now in New York we, we're going to talk we, blues we, hockey. We, we got lucky because Gary Unger turned out to be a terrific, yeah. terrific guest. Very good guest. Yeah. But, well, Gary's uh, first of all, he's a great guy, but uh, wow, it's an honor to be following him. I can tell you that he was a terrific player, uh, part of the most probably most one of the most controversial trades in the history yeah. of the yeah. Blues franchise and was pretty much all the Blues had for about a decade during the 70s. Absolutely. So tell us how this project came about because for me, this book is unique because for me, it's like a hybrid book because it, it's a coffee table book, but yet it also captures the history of the franchise as well as some of the key players, trades, and, and quirky moments. So how did the idea come about? Well, you know, I was approached, you know, first of all, it I was still at the Post-Dispatch last year at this time, or, or, you know, last year, a few months previous to this, and uh, there was talk going on between the paper and the the Blues uh, about doing a book in what was to be their 50th year. Last season was their, or 2017, uh, was the 50th year of the franchise, or is the 50th year of the franchise. So uh, there was some talk about doing a book, and the paper had me do... uh, what they called an essay covering the 50 years of the, the franchise. As it turned out, they never did the book for whatever reason, and um, so it never happened. And then uh, in February, I left the paper, but just at, around that same time, I was approached by Reedy Press about doing a book, uh, you know, same kind of book about the blues. And really, this, uh, you know, appropriately enough, this is their 50th season because of the 04 05 lockout. So, uh, you know, it made sense. And, you know, I had already done quite a bit of the research. So I was, you know, happy to do it. Um, it, it was, uh, you know, a labor of love to be sure. I love hockey. I've always followed the Blues when, you know, grew up in St. Louis following the Blues. In fact, I worked at the Arena Club at the old arena when the, the during the first three years the blues were here and um you know it was it was like i said it was a lot of fun for me to do it seemed to me like just a natural thing and i i felt like it was a book that that should be done the blues have been here for 50 years you know there's there's been two nfl teams an nba team an aba team major league soccer teams have all come and gone here uh, over those 50 years and the blues along with the cardinals are still here so I think, uh, you know, it was just, it, it was the right thing to do. 
It's amazing you mentioned that because to put that in perspective, he mentioned that uh, it's a baseball town, but you know, two NBA basketball teams, the St. Louis Bombers and the Hawks, left. Uh, ABA team, the Spirits of St. Louis, St. Louis, which right? is an NBA team. Uh, and then NFL has gone and come back, but yeah. yet the Blues have maintained. Yeah. That is a great point. You know, one of the things that strikes me about the book that's really great are the pictures. It's not just the actual Beautiful. pictures. It's all the, the, the little memorabilia, the programs, uh, the media guides, things like that. So, in putting the book together, how much did, did A drive B? Did the, the text drive the pictures, finding the pictures, or did they say, "Hey, we have some great pictures. Can you do some text for it?" Well, it, the way it was put to me, guys, was they wanted the text to drive the book. And and one of the complicated things about doing the book was, well, it's hard to believe, but the Blues did not own any of their pictures up until mm-hmm. just recently. So a lot of their early pictures, a lot of the photographers who shot the Blues um, well into this, you know, the most recent years, owned the uh, owned own the work. The Blues didn't have the rights to the work, and they, in, in most cases, didn't have access to it. So it was really hard to find pictures, and, and um, it became some, somewhat problematic because uh, if you've ever done a book like this, uh, you know, to find the pictures is one thing. To find people who are reasonable about sharing them yeah. or selling them is, is, a, is the next thing. So it was kind of difficult to put it all together, and, and we found things wherever we could. Uh, some of the pictures are from the National Hockey League Hall of Fame. Some of the, the memorabilia and stuff is just from fans and people who we got in contact with. And it was just kind of a hodgepodge of things that we put together. But uh, the main thing that I wanted to do was try to identify what I thought were you know, in the context of you, you can't make this book too big. I mean, there's a, you know, in the book, in the publishing business, there's a, a cost uh, factor that, you know, you can only make the book uh, so big to, towards viable. So it was kind of a challenge to trim it down to what I thought were the very key moments, whether they're, in some cases they're trade, some cases they're change of ownership, some cases... Uh, like the Mike Danton thing, you know, there was an arrest. You know, just what what were the biggest moments in the history of the franchise? And uh, once I identified those, you know, we wanted it to be sort of text-driven, embellished by, as you guys referred to, uh, big dynamic pictures, and we were able to find enough pictures to make that happen. You know, you mentioned that you go way back with the team, and if I'm not mistaken, when you said you worked at the arena club, I think you were a busboy there and when they first arrived. Right. So I have to imagine that you know, working in that environment, those first three years where an expansion team goes to the Stanley Cup Finals, has to really cement the love for the team early on. And maybe that's why the Blues have sustained such a, a long following. But the flip side to that is, at this point, they're the only expansion six team not to win a cup. And, and it's, it's very interesting to note that last week we had the author of the uh, book about the Rangers, the email Francis here, that we did everything but win. You know, at what point do Blues fans become long-suffering Blues fans and that love affair turn to, like, angst and, like, okay, we're never winning, similar to, like, the Cubs? And obviously we're not even halfway there yet with the Cubs, but... Yeah, it's a good point. And, you know, I've thought a lot about that. And, and like you said, I, as I mentioned, I, I worked as a busboy at, at the arena club and during the first few years. And, you know, during those first few years, they went to the Stanley Cup Finals 
three years in a row with a young Scotty Bowman as their coach. And, you know, as a, and I was a teenager then, and I thought, oh, well, this is what National Hockey League is all about. You go to the Stanley Cup Finals every year. And they haven't been back since, right. <laughs> since 1970. But, you know, the flip side of that, guys, is the Blues are in their 50th season, and they've only missed the playoff eight times right. in those 50 That's seasons. Yeah, At one is. point, they made the playoffs 25 consecutive years. Um, like so if you put it in that perspective, yeah, yeah they've never won the, the, the ultimate prize, the Stanley Cup. Yeah. But they go to the postseason almost every year. And in the postseason, uh, they've had a lot of dynamic moments. They've had, you know, the Monday Night Miracle, which is well known in St. Louis in '86 when they they uh, came came back uh, from a 5-2 deficit late in the third period, beat the Calgary Flames in Game Six of the playoffs, and extended the series. Now they lost Game Seven. That's the flip side, but the, you know. They had that moment, and for everybody who was at that game, that was a spectacular moment. And in hockey, you know, well, and really in any in any sport, each series in and of itself is is a special special thing. So while it's true the Blues have never you know won a Stanley Cup, they've had a goal by Ron Schock in '68 in double overtime that sent them to the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, they had the Monday Night Miracle. They they had the goal by Troy Brower a couple of winters ago that beat the Blackhawks in Game 7 here in St. Louis. A huge moment. Uh, so they've had lots of dynamic moments, and they've had some of the greatest players in the history of the game come through here. I mean, you know, when they made the trade for, for uh, Wayne Gretzky in 96, he, he started his first game with the Blues in Vancouver. Well, the, for the opening puck or for the opening drop of the puck that night, they had on the ice Wayne Gretzky, Brett Hall, Shane Corson, uh, Chris Pronger, Al McKinnis, and Grant Fuhrer sure. in goal. Not too shabby. That's five Hall of Famers, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and Shane Corson was a heck of a player too. So you know, it just short uh, that just sort of uh, exemplifies the fact that yes, they're still looking for their Stanley Cup. And in that way, they still leave you wanting a little bit more. But at the same time, you know, they've had a lot of uh, memorable moments and, and terrific players here. We're talking with uh, Dan O'Neill, author of the great book, When the Blues Go Marching In. A couple of stories. I like some of the offbeat stories in the book. The, the 1974 All-Star Game where the MVP, Gary Unger, won a car and a cow. Uh, the 1985 yeah. Snipe Hunt. <laughs> in which somebody fell off, coming from a pizza place, fell off a, uh, a flatbed truck. Right. Putting, putting the book together, what odd story, what stories most got you saying, hey, I didn't know this one, I have to put it in the book. What was your favorite story well, before, like that? But you know what, I have to add to that, because I'm shocked out of all the stories, yeah. and I know you've been working with you so long, yeah. certain stories okay. would catch your eye. And I'm shocked that you didn't mention this, and... and I'm almost willing to bet that that Dan might mention this one okay. now, and, and it blows me away that you did not mention Norm Kramer. All right, Norm okay. Kramer That's played for the Blues the Oregon, for five years, yeah. never scored a goal, right. but he wanted a raise. When he wanted a raise, he pointed to a news article that said he was worth a right. half a goal a game. I cannot right. believe that's not well, the one you got, AJ. But all right, now well, you can answer. It's in the book. Uh, no, yeah, it's in but the book. I, I'm shocked that that's AJ's not like not his favorite. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, there are a lot of stories like that. I mean, 
You know, one of my favorites is the, the fight in Philadelphia. And actually, I think uh, that fight um, in 72 um, went a long way in sort of setting the table for the Blues or establishing their personality, should I say. Uh, you know, they're playing a game in Philadelphia. They're down three to nothing. Between periods, there was a disputed goal. And so the the Blues coach at the time was Al Arbor, and he, and he, uh, you know, as, as the coaches, as the teams are leaving the ice, and Al Arbor goes out and he engages the referee about the goal. And he, he's, already, you know, he's, he's uh, making his point with the referee as they walk off the ice. And um, some Philly fans, hard to believe, uh, <laughs> at the spectrum, hard to believe, uh, Get a little overzealous and and dump beer on on Al Arbor and uh, harass him, and at that point the Blues you know came to his rescue and start going into the stands. Bobby Plager leading the way and Bart Plager and uh, a few of them are going into the stands with their ice skates on. Uh, and Al Arbor loses the fight fans. And but anyway, I you know that so uh, by the time that that thing is settled. Uh, they want to arrest the Blues, about eight of the players, and they, they they work it out to finish the game, and the Blues come back and win the game. They rally and win the game in the third period, and uh, when it's over, the, the Philadelphia police are waiting for Blues players outside wow. their locker room <laughs> yeah, seen right and outside. escort right. them to yeah, escort them to a paddy wagon, take them to to the uh, police station. And one of the funniest stories about that is the Blues had just called up this player, John Arbor. And he hadn't even no checked into his hotel yet. Yeah. And he was one of the players they arrested and took to the police station. He never even uh, stayed in the hotel. He stayed overnight in the uh, police station. And then, uh, they, you know, they, they, they got him out and they left town. So he never even needed to, the hotel room. You know, it's hard to believe that it's been 18 years since the arena was demolished. And it's been 23 years since a game was played there. Uh, you know, here in New York, Met fans, even though Shea Stadium towards the end was somewhat of a dump, it was, you know, our dump, and there's always that <laughs> sentimental value placed on that. What was, so, what was so special about the arena that still, you know, 23 years later, after the last game's been played, St. Louis Blues fans still hold that arena in their hearts? Well, you know, there's a couple things about the arena. First of all, the Blues would have never gotten their franchise without the arena. <clears throat> Excuse me. The arena, uh, when that when the uh, the NHL decided to expand, the arena was owned by by uh, the Chicago Blackhawks owner James Norris and uh, Wirtz and uh, William Wirtz, uh, and they had their their Central Hockey League team here, the St. Louis Braves. Who, by the way, Phil Esposito played for, and, and a Pat Stapleton, and a bunch of the great black Dennis Hall. I saw those guys play here as members of the St. Louis Braves. Wow. But anyway, the uh, when they expanded, the, the St. Louis was actually late to the table on on the expansion, and uh, there were a couple other cities, including Buffalo and Baltimore, who were in position to get the final franchise, the sixth franchise um, bid, but. The Blackhawks owners, of course, were part of the original six and part of that uh, ownership group and, and um, made it known that, hey, here was our chance. Here was their chance to get rid of this dilapidated old arena. 
And so the NHL actually held the uh, the last franchise opening for St. Louis, contingent on them buying the arena from the Chicago Blackhawks owners, which they did, and that's that's basically how they got the franchise. But you know, the the old arena here in St. Louis was much like Chicago Stadium and a lot of the other old uh, hockey buildings, uh, including you know the one they more recently. Um, moved out of in Winnipeg and and uh, the old building in Edmonton and all the old all the old NHL buildings which was you know they were much more vertical than horizontal and you you basically were right on top of the ice yeah. and, uh, and the you know you were in, you were you were not in a good place if if one of those steel columns that allowed those buildings <laughs> to be like that were right in your way but for the most part the, the, the uh, you know you were right on top of the ice. They're much more intimate, much louder. I mean, you know, the building here gets loud. Scott Trade Center gets plenty loud, and so does the building in Chicago and all. But not like they used to. I mean, it's just uh, the atmosphere was unbelievable, especially when the franchise first started, because uh, it was accepted in St. Louis during those first few years. It was almost like a Beatlemania thing. I mean, the Blues, here's this new franchise. Uh, it becomes the ticket in town with Red Berenson and Glenn Hall and Jock Plant and Scotty Bowman, this young coach. And and for uh, in the late 60s and into the mid-70s, the Blues, uh, St. Louis was at 100% capacity in attendance and led the NHL in attendance five times. So, you know, this is the NHL with established teams like the Rangers and the Canadians and the Maple Leafs, and here's the upstart St. Louis Blues leading the league in attendance. I mean, that's how that's how big it was and how popular it was here. And, uh, you know, that the way that old arena would rock with all those people in it was something special. Last year's Winter Classic made it into the book. 46,000-plus in attendance for Blues Blackhawks. Also, it was a, a showcase for Blues star Vladimir Tarasenko, who at 25 years old is rapidly already closing in on number 10 in franchise history for goals, and he'll probably get there that, this season. Uh, two things. Where, where do you rank Tarasenko in, in the stars of the Blues, and could he be the superstar that finally brings that elusive cup to St. Louis? Well, I don't know. I, you know, the game's so different now, guys. Uh, I don't know if you can put that on one player. I, You know, I've always felt the Blues, the, the two most important players in, in the history, if you're, if you're just doing an overview of their 50 years here, I, to me, the two most important players were first Red Berenson, who uh, came here, had been a, was a fourth-line fourth center with the Rangers, had not established himself. He was 27 or 28 years old at the time. The Blues, uh, you know, traded their t- at their time was their top scorer, Ron Stewart, to get Red Berenson and Barkley Plager. You know, a couple of players nobody had even heard of. And you know, Barkley Plager became the heart and soul of the franchise. But Red Berenson became the first big star of the new expansion division. <clears throat> uh, you know, and and. I think did a lot not only to legitimize uh, hockey in St. Louis, but legitimize the expansion teams. And, you know, he had the six-goal night in Philadelphia, um, was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and just was one of the most exciting players in the league. And, I, you know, I really – I haven't seen a whole, a whole lot of players since 
that were as exciting as Berenson could be. I mean, he he was the kind of player who you don't see very often, which is one who could take the puck from behind his own net and rush it all the way down the other, to the other end and score. Um, and the other player, of course, is Brett Hall. You know, they, they, the Blues uh, were, were not in a good way during the late 80s, made the, made the, the trade for Brett Hall. Uh, Bobby Hull's son, you know, immediately had that magnetism and the name and, and the, the whole uh, Golden Brett thing and became a huge star, not only in St. Louis, but in the National Hockey League. And is one of the greatest players to ever play, along with his dad, and uh, had an 86 goal season here. And for three or two and a half seasons, they had uh, Adam Oates and Brett Hull. Uh, one of the most dynamic duos in, duos in the history of the league. So, I, again, he saved the franchise while they had Brett Hull. They, they were able to move out of the arena and build a new uh, building with the Scott to what, what was then Keel Center, now Scott Trade Center. And that was a big, big uh, transition for the franchise. So, to me, those two players have been the most important players they've ever had. Um, whether I, I don't know that I don't know that Vladimir Tarasenko can be that kind of player. Certainly, he can be the kind of star they build around, and I think they are building around that could lead them to the the cup. In the same way, you know, other individual stars have led their teams uh, to great heights, like Ovechkin or. or uh, well, off the top of my head, I don't know, but you might want to. You, know, you might not want to go with it. You know, in <laughs> other words, I don't think a single player dominates right. the yeah, game right. the way those guys used to. Awesome, Dan. Where can people get a hold of this awesome, beautiful book? Well, it's available everywhere, guys. I mean, it's on. Uh, it's at Am- It's on Amazon. You can go to Barnes and Noble or, or hopefully any of the uh, established bookstores and, and find it. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time tonight, Dan, and, and more importantly, thanks for a great book. You don't have to be, you know, any fan of hockey will love this book, especially, you know, 50 years of these franchises, these, the, the second six, the franchise six, the expansion six, they're all hitting that 50th season. It, it's a very cool retrospective. So awesome job. We really appreciate you coming on with us tonight. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Good to be, uh, good to be on the air in New York. You got it. Dan O'Neill, author of the great new book, When the Blues Come Marching In, an illustrated timeline of the St. Louis Blues hockey by Dan O'Neill.